Hello there, and welcome to episode 97 of the Lifting the Veil podcast with myself, your host, the Integrative Awareness Coach. This week's episode is kind of on an intense topic, but I felt very called to share this this week for many reasons. It's been showing up in my life in different arenas, in different ways, different flavors, but enough to bring my attention to it. So um, I haven't really given a title to this week's episode yet. It will come to me as I record this, as it often does. But this week's episode is about uh, trauma around sex and largely our sexuality. And because this is such a vast topic filled with subtleties and delicacies and affecting so many people on so many levels, I don't mean for it to be a comprehensive overview of the topic, but a little window in not only to my personal experience and the experiences of the people that I've worked with, uh, so I've broken it down into three sections. The first one is the societal condition. The second part is entitled the reception. And the third part is titled the outcome. So getting started with a societal condition, just kind of laying the land for this topic, that there is so much trauma around sex. And why is that? Because there's so much trauma around the self and the body and power and our, our idea of who we are, whether it's accurate or not. And this trauma, which for me is another word for wounding around the self, often reverberate, reverberates the entire structure of our self-image, our sense of self, our freedom to give and receive love authentically, or to have any idea of what it feels like to be safe in a body. When you're naked in a room with another person, you are extremely vulnerable, of course, and this serves as a minefield, a free-for-all, for all that's laying under the waterline of consciousness, including all of our associations with our bodies and sex and love, including guilt, shame, confusion, hurt, the contradictions of the past that are in the present, so much so that it is difficult for many individuals to actually be emotionally present with a partner during a sexual um connection. And I don't believe that I'm off base by stating that most Americans receive little or no education around sex, let alone love, with many children being educated unconsciously by the media, the world of pornography now available on the internet, and the silence of the adults around them. Case in point, my sex education was shaped by parental silence And ironically, the sexual molestation by my uncle when I was about four or five years old and the consequent repetitive rape I received and experienced as a 14-year-old that I somehow imagined to be an expression of romantic love. And the truth is, I really knew little about romantic love or authentic love at all and how that was related to sex. 
and little of what I experienced growing up could be considered authentic or fully embodied expression of love, choice, freedom, but more like an ego response to trauma patterns. And I'm not sharing any of this to paint myself as a victim or to blame anyone. I'm simply sharing these personal details with you, listener, to illustrate that my experience around sex love deeply related to a sense of acceptance, belonging, all of these needs that are not uncommon to a sense of a strong rooted self have been revealed to me in the symptomology of deep disconnection and disassociative states that allow for and create these types of destructive and inappropriate expressions of care. What does it mean to actually be cared for, loved, to build a secure, rooted sense of self for children in families? And it has been my experience that there is a subtle yet distinct difference between sensuality and sexuality and what I call the sacred space, which is held uh, a therapeutic space for healing. All of these three words that I'm using, sensuality, sexuality, and sacred space describe different states of mind that can also produce subliminal, meaning below the threshold of our conscious mind, states that aren't necessarily connected to these, um, that don't necessarily have to be connected and um, look different depending on the stage of our development as a human being. And I'm going to say more about this and hopefully develop this a little bit more so it's hopefully a little bit clearer. So bear with me. In one way, our sexuality is contained in our sensuality, our central, centrally felt sense of being in our body. And in another way, our sexuality is also a part of our sacred space. So all of these three can be enmeshed together. So seemingly that they are not distinct aspects of our humanity. But I wanted to make this point because it's an important difference. For example, you can be sexual without feeling your body, i.e. having a sense of sensuality. In fact, many women who have suffered sexual abuse or trauma report not being able to feel their body or to feel safe in their body during sex. Or, in other words, you could say they experience disassociation from their body during sexual experience. So while their body physically may be acting out, they're not necessarily Uh, experiencing the sensual aspect of it. Likewise, for many men, this might arise as not being able to be emotionally present in their body. And throughout my career as a healer, a coach, and a teacher, I have become deeply familiar with these different states with both entering these states 
personally through my own healing and also through bringing my clients into these energetic states which are often related to a certain state of mind one that is sensual because it's embodied and sexual because it's energetically connected with another and when this happens a space is created that can promote healing and I'm not talking about the kind of healing that you go to to see the doctor this is the kind of healing that transforms the sensual and the sexual into sacred space and it is through holding the space that the body and the nervous system is able to realign with the energetic intelligence within and heal itself because one is able to access the intelligence that is flowing in one's body but we can't do that if we have um if we have freeze or fight patterns uh, stuck in our nervous system, unprocessed emotional or psychic energy in our systems and in our body. And as such, through my own healing, I have had to become highly attuned to my own energy, including my energetic boundaries so that I could provide that for others in a safe space that they may have never ever actually experienced before. For instance, as an empath and sensitive, I not only carried the weight of other people's emotional and psychic energy in my family, because I was trained to do that, but also their sensual experience of it, their embodied experience of it. And this is where it became very sticky, like a hall of mirrors, let's say, for someone like me as an empath. I've not often been sure or been able to identify the origin of energy that I'm experiencing because I wasn't allowed to create a strong sense of self with secure boundaries. Instead, I was uh, made an agreement unconsciously in my nervous system to attend to everybody else's um, experience that wasn't actually mine. And this is what psychologists today call um, unorganized or disassociated attachment styles. And there's different versions of it depending on the particular style of the energy patterns in your family. This is what makes This is what makes a healing space, a sacred space, is being able to redefine boundaries in a healthy way. And some get confused because it's a layering of the sexual and the sensual space. And this is where a lot of abuse can happen when people are in very vulnerable states this happens when, when we are defenseless children, for example, and as we get older in different states, and, and because we never learned the skill in order to um, create definite or clear boundaries for ourselves. In addition, it is my experience that 
the models of familial love, at least the ones I inherited, as well as romantic love, were heavily laced with codependence and addiction. And in the face of growing up with sexual trauma, not having anyone that I could actually talk to about it, because they're uh, one of the one of the pieces about sexual trauma is the silence and shame connected to it. It has taken me years of self-reflection and self-inquiry and self-healing to peel back the layers for myself and to recognize the process of what occurred to me, what happened not in a a need to blame or accuse anyone or to be a victim, but to understand my experience fully, to be able to see it for what it was, which is an essential part of healing. And this is where this week's podcast really begins. What does it take to create systematically sacred spaces of healing that are reflective of our natural state which include all the aspects of our human design without dysfunction part two this is where we get to the part of today's podcast called the reception and how our reception into this world has largely put us at a disadvantage on many levels. So I want to speak with you about that today as a way of thinking and addressing these issues in your own relationships, in your own body, your own relationship to the world. When I was born into this world, like many of us, I was born to a mother who physically was present. She gave birth to me but was not energetically connected to her heart or her body. Thus, the mirror that I was offered was incomplete. Uh, She was unable to host the full expression of my human potential, which not only includes my physical, but also my energetic, emotional, and intellectual um, development. These aspects of our being don't go away They just get channeled into uh, more common expressions, i.e. the sensuality of our physical body. And we become sensualized, meaning that we are reduced to our material existence, over-identified with the body, our physical needs, unable to be cognizant or aware of the full expansiveness of our being and the technology that we possess. And if you don't know something's missing, it's really hard to start looking for it. When we're born, we are born from an oceanic state, a bliss state. And in psychoanalysis, they refer to this as the pre-Odipal, that place before we began putting up our boundaries, began constructing a self and an identity before we enter language, which separates us through objectification of self. And this is part of what allows this, this oceanic bliss allows the mother to bond with her child 
because it is the reminder of the sea of infinite love, the mother of us all, which every mother's innate essence as well. But this feminine energy gets repressed and counterfeited in a way. The initial state of innocence in which we come slowly into this world is rejected and eventually closed down through the ritual practice of heartbreak. And what does this mean? Well, because as children, it is natural for us to center, to create the center of our universe outside of us in the physical body and comfort of our mother. We associate that oceanic nature that we bring with her, but she is simply our mirror. And if you had a a mother like mine, which is the construction of mother in this world that we live in, in general, she became addicted to this state and that becomes connected with love. But this is simply an echo of the love inside of her. When a child who is not properly energetically prepared to embody energetic essence, their own, one becomes dependent on the mother not only for food and warmth, but also for a sense of embodiment and safety. For example, when my mother went back to work when I was about four years old, I was inconsolable. I was addicted biochemically to her presence. And when she removed it, I went through withdrawals and incredible loss accompanied by grief. I had become enmeshed in her and did not have the tools to individuate in a healthy manner. Nor, really, did anybody around me even have the tools to acknowledge what healthy individualization is in the first place. And this is amplified by my own mother's need to feel loved, to feel empowered, to feel needed, and what she was able to feel through her imbalanced connection with her children. And the outcome, when a child believes that they aren't able to take care of themselves because of their parents' enmeshment and desire to be needed at the expense of their own individual identity development, there is an impulse to individuate that is blocked. And the child must restrain themselves in order to be loved, accepted, and keep safe in a relationship where a parent's needs are given priority at the cost of a child developing a self and thus living in a false self projection, something projected onto them by their parent to fulfill their parents' needs. This is the definition of narcissism. This false sense of self in the child that is based on their relationship to other is a process of insecure attachment at the cost of their own individual autonomy and identity. And as this individual grows, there is still that injured part of self that does not go away because the need was never met properly. Having a secure base of self requires a sense of security and trust and safety and control that lends want to feel like they have power and agency out in the world. 
And if that is not fostered by the origin family, then you get the honor of building or recreating that internal schema for yourself on the inside before you can actually experience and show up and be experienced on the outside for who you truly are. And we have a legacy of undeveloped, unmet needs of individualized self. This is where we get individuals that are acting hyper-independent, hyper-dependent, or flipping back and forth between the two. And it takes rebuilding the relationship with oneself through reparenting by reclaiming the love and the respect and the space and the boundaries which you deserve, which are required for your sense of health and well-being and wholeness. But there are many types of related experiences that affect one's one's um, relationship to self and other. For example, witnessing my sister as a young person, maybe I was about eight or nine years old, being arrested. She was having a manic episode on the street and there was no other way to contain her but to call the police. That was the only intervention available at the time. And as this happened, I observed not only my sister being arrested, but my mother observing it. And I did not have the place or space to grieve, to express my terror. So I had to create a separate a separate ego state to hold it, to hide it, in order to i.e. protect my mother and these states don't go away they get shoved under consciousness and triggered repeatedly that show up as illogical out of context responses because it is unintegrated it's out of the conscious mind no longer in present time only showing up at um, the times in which that storyline becomes uh, touched or vibrated. And so when I work with clients, if I have them follow what at first seems like unexplainable anger, anxiety, sexual desire, terror, it leads them to the origin or events that created that state of fragmentation where disassociation becomes a metacognitive skill. The psyche creates for its own survival. And so in this way, the disassociation is the most intelligent response for consciousness itself to survive. And the behavior you create in order to try to deal with incoherent narratives, things that don't make sense, are often conflicting with other narratives in the world. And in order to resolve these incoherent narrative streams that creates internal tension we must go back to the origin of their development which must be addressed to integrate them back into the wholeness of consciousness decentering 
events seen through the eyes of another where empathy is the ability to feel what people are being disconnected from your heart is like not only same response to experiencing sexual trauma as well as receiving or witnessing any type of abuse is for the brain to recreate or create a defense as it tries to protect itself and make sense out of something that doesn't make sense. This is often experienced as what psychologists call repetitive compulsion in the brain. Creates discordant ego states. And as I understand this from a very personal place as it happened to me it starts at a place where you can begin to see the context where you can shed light on your experience and the place that it holds in your psyche and the place that it's been holding you perhaps hostage in your own psyche. And this is not a lighthearted or easy journey to embark on, but it is something that can ultimately bring you a sense of um, homecoming to yourself home to the fullness of who you are and the full expression that you were here to embody and share as your birthright and so my friends I think I'll leave it there for today um, and please know that if you are in the process of working through any of these Um, conditions or states in which I spoke about today I invite you to reach out for support if you'd like to find out more about the work I do you can check out my website at www.mindheart-space.com and schedule a free 20 minute chat and I can share with you about the work that I do and how I might be able to support you in your personal growth, healing, and transformation. Until next time, please remember what a valuable treasure you are, and bye for now.